Hey, this is Josh at GFCN, and you're joining us for the Hebrew Bible Journey. This is week something. Uh, we're looking at uh, the Old Testament. We're going through the Old Testament, not book by book, but almost uh, bookmark by bookmark. And so this time, when you're joining us, we're in Second Kings. We've titled it Falling Kingdom because... The kingdom of Israel is falling in what we're looking at today and moving into exile. I think this is a word, a scripture, a source that we need to look to today, particularly because of what's going on with coronavirus. People of faith are no longer able to come together and worship in the way they used to. We are in exile. What does scripture say about that? Well, we have quite a bit to look at. So I'm glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. And uh, stay tuned. Well, we're memorizing scripture together. Today's scripture, this week's scripture, until April, the end of April, we are memorizing Psalm 150, verse 6. Sometimes... Uh, I like to do hand motions or sing a little song to go with it, but I think this one's short enough we'll be able to get pretty easily. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Our scripture for today comes from 2 Kings 25, verse 1 through verse 21. 2 Kings 25. What we have here is the collapse of the southern kingdom. So here we go. Hear the word of the Lord. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. And Nebuchadnezzar camped outside the city and built a siege uh, with all around the city. And the city was kept under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through, and the whole army fled at night through the gate between two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. The people were able to flee toward Arabia, but the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and so the king was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where a sentence was pronounced upon him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. On the seventh day of the fifth month, in the nineteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard, an official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And he set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. 
every important building he burned down. And the whole Babylonian army under the commander of the Imperial Guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Nebuzardan, the commander of the guard, carried into exile the people who remained in the city, along with the rest of the populace and those who had deserted to the king of Babylon. But the commander left behind some of the poorest people of the land so they could work the vineyards and the fields. The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars, the movable stands and the bronze sea that were at the temple of the Lord, and they carried the bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the wick trimmers, the dishes, and all the bronze articles that were used in the temple service. The commander of the imperial guard took away the censures and sprinkling bowls and all the things that were made of pure gold or silver. The bronze from the two pillars, the sea and the movable stands that Solomon had made for the temple of the Lord, they were more than could be weighed. Each pillar was 18 cubits high. The bronze capital on top of one pillar was three cubits high and was decorated with a network of pomegranates of bronze all around. The other pillar with its network was similar. And so the commander of the guard took as prisoners Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the priest next in rank, and the three doorkeepers. Of those still in the city, he took the officer in charge of the fighting men and five rural advisors. He also took the secretary, who was chief officer in charge of conscripting the people of the land, and sixty of the conscripts who were found in the city. Nebuzardan, the commander, took them all and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And there at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, the king had them executed. So Judah went into captivity away from her land. So... Why do we need to hear this? Why do we need to hear about um, Jerusalem being captured and people fleeing and Nebuzardan and all that's going on? Well, we need to hear it because we don't uh, we don't have a sense of exile in the same way that Scripture communicates it. We think of exile and we think of someone moving from one place to another. But the Hebrew here, exile, we translate it exile. It's gala. And gala literally means, as a verb, to strip bare. And that's a different connotation to exile than even we think about. But to, to strip bare of all the things that make us who we are, um, to... For all of those things to collapse away, that's what Scripture is saying. That's what's happening, and that's why we need to hear it today, because with what's going on with the coronavirus, some people have been saying, what's, what's happening? Are we still able to worship? Are we still able to, to be faithful to God uh, if we're not worshiping in churches? And, and this Scripture um, teaches us how what we're to do and how we go about it. So if you're unfamiliar, in the books of Kings, first Kings and second Kings, uh, the whole nation of Israel splits apart and becomes two kingdoms, a Northern kingdom and a Southern kingdom. Well, the Northern kingdom fell some time ago. It collapsed and, and had its own kind of diaspora 
and he never really has had that consistency that the southern kingdom did and the southern kingdom is what would we call the it's the davidic line it's in the dynasty and the southern kingdom is made up of judah and benjamin just two tribes the other 10 tribes were part of the northern kingdom and in 597 bc king jehoiakim uh, became prisoner uh, of a babylon and King Jehoiakim's uncle uh, appears in this scripture, Zedekiah, and he's placed as the king over uh, Jerusalem, uh, appointed by Babylon. And that happens in 597. But then, 10 years later, in 587, we have this scripture in Second uh, Kings chapter 25, and there is exile, there is a stripping bear of identities, and Babylon burns Jerusalem. Now let's talk a little bit more about Gala and exile and what that means. Exile, Gala, it's the breakdown of those systems by which people trust. Uh, Israel trusted, you know, they lost some things. They were stripped away from things. They were stripped of their land. They were stripped of their temple. They were stripped of their, their king. And as we know from reading Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, these were the things that were promised. Uh, these were the representations of God's presence for the kingdom, for Israel. So when exile happens, it's almost as if the people have to start asking, is God still faithful to us? Can we still worship God without these things? And what does that look like? And I think right now, as we're unable to worship in churches because the coronavirus and precautions around the coronavirus have, um, have kept us from meeting together, right now we have to ask ourselves that same question. What does life look like if we're not able to worship God in the same way we have what does that look like if the things we trusted on are no longer there? How can we continue to be faithful today as Christians? How can we continue to be people of faith? What does that look like? Well, I've asked Dr. Tim Green uh, to join me uh, in a little dialogue about this. And so I asked uh, Dr. Green some questions. Dr. Green is a professor at Trevecca Nazarene University. Um, and... He looks at more detail in this topic and things around this topic in his book, The God Plot. It's available for purchase through uh, The Foundry, which is the uh, publishing house uh, for the Church of the Nazarene. So I encourage you to check that out and look at it. But for now, uh, enjoy this uh, conversation that Dr. Green and I have on Are We in Exile Today? as a church and if we are what does that mean for our faith what does that mean for us to express ourselves faithfully right now with everything that's going on is exile an appropriate metaphor for talking about our experience as people of faith today yeah, that's a man. That's a that's a great question. Um, 
you know, a lot of uh, oftentimes people will try to locate different periods in especially Old Testament uh, history. Uh, you know, where does the church find itself today? Where do the people of God find themselves today? And and really for the past, man, 10, 20 years, people have been talking about, especially the North American church is in exile. Um, and, and they mainly mean that by it's a changing world and we're having to get used to a new world, kind of like the Jews when they were taken to Babylon. In, in that case, I personally, I don't think that is quite um, what scripture is trying to say is that exile is just a changing world. Okay. Uh, exile, as I think you have um, already shared some, um, is much more than just the world has changed and I've got to learn new things. Um, exile really is less about a changing world and more about what you've already shared, uh, that the very essence of that word means stripping bare, mm -hmm. which means the things that have clothed me, that have clothed the church, that have been uh, essential in our identity. So sometimes the way we have worshipped or the way we have gathered together or um, even living in a nation where it's just kind of the popular thing to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Suddenly, when those things that we really think have given us our identity, um, we're stripped bare. And so, yeah. so it's more than just, wow, the world has changed. But the way it has changed is what we have built our lives upon, our hope upon, our faith upon. And so I think as you've already also discussed, uh, for, for the ancient Israelites, for our ancestors, their faith was in, we've got a temple uh, where we go three times a year to celebrate the festivals. Uh, we've got a king. God made us a promise. And this king is ruling on behalf of, of God himself over us. And we've got the land that God promised. And so we know God is faithful to his promises. And suddenly those three things that, that were great and that God was very much involved in, but over time, the faith of God's people had been based upon those gifts of God rather mm -hmm. than upon the giver of the gifts. Mm -hmm. And and so in the sense of that stripping bear, not so much a changed world, but man, the very essence of what our hope had become probably unintentionally, and it usually happens over a lengthy period of time, suddenly those objects of our faith um, are gone. Now mm. what do we do? And man, Josh, I would say for sure the season we're in right now, many things that we as followers of Jesus have, have almost put our trust in, uh, including, man, we'll just get together every week and we'll shake hands and see each other face to face and hear each other sing songs. Um, we have been stripped bare wow. of that. Wow. And so I would call, I think there we truly would be experiencing exile in the sense that the Bible understands it. Well, thank you. Clarifying question here. Um, one of the things you mentioned was what I heard you say was some of the things we've already kind of talked about, but yep. um, the, there's a stripping bear. It, it's not necessarily just a, a change, but also a removal of these things that we've defined ourselves. That's right. Um, but one thing that you've added that I hadn't even thought of, and I'm glad mm -hmm. you said it is it happens over a period of time. Yes. Yes. And are there nuances today? Is that 
So mm-hmm. some people may be looking at what's going on right now and think this is just mm-hmm. as random. It's, it's just a one-off type of thing. It's just for, you know, a season, mm-hmm. but is this type of thing, something that's been going on for longer. And this is only now we're seeing it yep. a little brighter because yeah, of everything that's happening with us having yep. to close our church buildings. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would say definitely it's not. And that's a great question that that stripping there and really where I would want to say way before the coronavirus, mm. uh, the church globally, but particularly I'm, I'm talking about kind of the localized North American sure. church. Um, there's there are many things that we have just assumed um you know, whether it be uh, we've got the freedom of religion, we can we can do what we want to do mm. with our religion uh, or it be a slow process of kind of a, almost a consumerism of I'm going to find the church and I'm going to find the small group that meets my needs just like a product yeah. and all of that. It, I, it doesn't happen overnight. It, it's very slow. It's um, it's almost like getting into a swimming pool where the water is very cold, mm-hmm. but and you oh, can that's a great feel picture. It. Yeah, you can feel it when it changes, but we have been in a pool that maybe has grown very cold, but because we've been in it, we've not wow. sensed that it wow. was cold. <laughs> and oh my goodness. And, wow. and so really what coronavirus does, it's like we have jumped into the pool that we've been swimming in all along and didn't even realize how cold the water was. But this has been, okay, you're going to jump right in. And suddenly we've begun to realize, oh, my goodness, what is my faith built upon? Is it built upon that I have to have a handshake this Sunday? Or can it be that I simply in viewing uh, via the Internet uh, a a brother, a sister's eyes and seeing the tears in their eyes? And is that just as authentic of sharing life with others um, and, and so, so what exile does, what exile did for the, for our biblical ancestors, it makes us really not rethink our faith as much as come back to the very ground of all being of our faith to, mm. to come back to the very God who in Jesus Christ defines our faith. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's slow process and things like coronavirus and, and honestly, this, uh, processes continue on for weeks and weeks and weeks but there were some similar things that occurred um in my recent memory you know on 9-11 that right, suddenly yeah, all I remember us talking about that before yeah and all the safeties and securities that we had built even our faith upon it seemed mm. like those were removed um you know i i think a difference is this is continuing long enough that I, i'll be honest i a Sunday school class that, that I have the privilege of teaching the first week when we all met on zoom, <laughs> it was the most awkward, unusual mm. thing. But I know just this past week, as many lingered for over an hour after our class was over, um, there were tears, there were prayers, there was laughter. And, and it's suddenly making us realize, you know, our faith isn't really just built on, I've got to have the handshake. That it's belonging to this body of Jesus Christ that sometimes we've known it, but we're real realizing it once again, we can't even see it always face to face. Wow. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, 
I think that leads me into uh, one of my next questions here. Yeah. So our ways of practicing, practicing faith, uh, yeah. our normal ways, shaking hands, the way you talked about, yeah. some of them are no longer an option. Right. And so what, what are some ways for uh, people of God to continue being faithful during exile? And yeah. so I know you may want to talk about, well, you just, what, let's leave it there. What are sure. some ways we can continue to be faithful Absolutely. in exile, even when our normal means of showing faith are no longer an option? Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's such an important question in these days. Um, you know, uh, in, in response to it I, it, I could, and I'm sure there's lots of these kind of things appearing out there, almost bullet points of, hey, here's what we can do, and here's what the church mm. can do, and here's what Christians can do. But, but maybe, Josh, if I could just go back to a couple practices of the community sure. actually in exile. And, That'd be great. And so kind of rather than, hey, here's Tim's brilliant ideas, and I'm saying that <laughs> jokingly, um, maybe I would almost raise scripture in the air and say, do our ancestors, does the faith of our exilic ancestors have anything to say to us in the midst of this? And one thing that they echo into our lives what became so important for their faith? And this may sound odd, but it was during exile they returned to a practice that actually their faith was born in. Remember, the, the faith of our biblical ancestors was born as they were crying out to God in the midst of their Egyptian captivity. Mm. And they simply were crying out. And that crying out goes by a very special name in our, in our biblical faith, biblical tradition, and that's called lament. And lament is we come to realize that happy songs and praises are not the only way we worship to God, but we worship God through honesty, through mm. peeling off the masks, uh, through confession, confession of fears, confession of anxiety, and uh, man of all weeks, and I'm not sure when this podcast will play, but mm. you and I are talking during Holy Week. It'll play this and week. Awesome. Yeah. And oh my goodness, what we want to do is jump back real quick to Palm Sunday or jump mm -hmm. ahead real quick to He is Arisen on Easter Sunday. But oh my goodness, our faith, both the faith of our Israelite ancestors and the faith of the earliest Christians, the followers of Jesus, it was born in a Holy Week. Uh, our Savior, who himself cries out the greatest of all laments, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so the exile faith, the exile ancestors, a great practice is, is not, uh, lament is not feeling sorry for ourselves. It's not pouting. It's not just shaking our fist aimlessly at God. But lament um, is, is done in community. So it means some way or another. Um, it's not just my going private to my prayer closet. But it is joining brothers and sisters on the journey who are also lamenting mm. and, and crying out to God in our fears, in our anxieties, in our worries. Real faith is not learning how to put a mask on and pretend. Real faith, and this is exile faith, uh, calls us to that practice of honest crying out to God. Um, a second piece to that, though, and... And man, this, Josh, has been the last few days, has mm -hmm. just been overwhelming me in a beautiful way. What our ancestors struggled with the greatest, especially the, the group who was carried away into exile in Babylon or others who were carried down to Egypt. 
they had so associated the presence of God across the centuries to right there in Jerusalem in the temple mm. and to know that the house of God, that's what they called the temple. Yeah. It had, it had been burned down. Uh, leaders and priests and leaders had been taken away. And this is the very language they use in Psalm 137, which is a, a lament of, of exile. How can we sing our songs of Zion in a foreign land? And so they had been mm. removed completely from their homeland. But here's what's beautiful. And I'm thinking of that incredible prophet Ezekiel who had been carried away into exile. Their understanding would have been God cannot be in Babylon. God cannot be in Egypt. He is in Jerusalem. Mm. And yet the vision of Ezekiel is God shows up right there by the river where they've hung their harps in exile. And for us in this changing world where we have come to believe the only way we can really experience God is in the temple. <laughs> it's shaking hands. It's, it's seeing flesh and blood faces and, and sitting next to them in a pew for us to recognize God is with us in a foreign land. <laughs> God is with us when really our only worship is peering into a screen and watching a pastor who's preaching a sermon to an empty sanctuary. Uh, God is with us. And, and so what that leads to is what the Christian faith and, and our Israelite ancestors always understood. And that is practices where we literally what is called practicing the presence of God. And that can be in prayer. It can be in scripture reading. It can be definitely, uh, and it doesn't have to be sitting right next to a person physically, but where we experience community, Christian community, faith community, um, even over a screen. Um, it's finding ways in practicing the presence to, to find where God is at work uh, with vulnerable people in the world. And as much as possible in a time like this to join him. Uh, in that kind of work. So I've talked mm. way too long, Josh, but I, 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 two practices that I would really say come right out of scripture in that period of exile is the honest crying out to God and not seeing that as rebellion, but it's bearing our souls in honesty to God as the carpet maybe has been pulled out from under us, as we have been exiled, uh, mm. stripped bare, and practicing the presence of God through those basic Christian practices that we do in exile and not in exile. And yeah. that is sincere prayer and community in one way or another and, and acts of service. Oh, thank you. Um, I was reminded cool. while you were talking just there, yeah. um, one of the things we've been coming back to in this class that we've yeah. been going through together, this podcast now is we keep coming back to exile and mm -hmm. we keep sharing that exile is some of the, and the time after exile, post-exile, is some yep. of the most prolific time for Israel Absolutely. in turning to Scripture um, and sharing those those testimonies and stories of what God has done in the past. Absolutely. Um, and Absolutely. that leads me into my next question, yep. is that, is there any testimony, is there any good news yeah. for the people of God today who are struggling to be faithful? Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, what a great question. And, and oh my goodness, 
what an incredible week to be having this dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I think for this specific week, a way that question could be asked is, so is there any good news um, in the midst of Holy Week mm. <laughs> when, when the lights go out, when the candles seem to be extinguished? Is, is there good news? And um, mm. so, you know what? If I could, could I take just about three or four minutes just to read very small pieces of messages that come from prophets in exile? And that would be some Please. of the messages of the book of Isaiah some of the messages of the book of Jeremiah and pretty much all of Ezekiel, but especially the latter part of the book of Ezekiel. These, these are all uh, messages that were spoken into exile. So here from Isaiah 43, um, and again, I'll just read these, and then I'll kind of make a comment once, once I've read them all. So is he, uh, Isaiah 43, uh, beginning around verse 15. Okay, This is speaking into exile. This is good news. I'm the Lord the creator of Israel, your king, the one who in the past made a way through the sea and a path in the waters, who brought out chariots and horses. Don't remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. It's springing forth right now. Do you see it? I will now make a way, the very thing he made through the sea back at the Red Sea, I will now make a way in the wilderness. I will make rivers in the desert. And then the prophet Jeremiah, uh, unbelievable language. Here's what he says in the midst of exile. This is what the Lord says. This is chapter 31, the opening verses. The people who survived the sword have now found grace in the wilderness. I've loved you with an everlasting love. And once again, I will build you up, O virgin Israel. And you will take your tambourines and go forth dancing with the joyful ones. And then I won't even read the passage we're all familiar with, but Ezekiel chapter 37, as that exile community is crying out, our bones are dried up, our hope Mm. is gone, we're cut Mm. off. And he suddenly begins to see the great wind, the spirit of God blow, and the bones come back together and flesh appears on them and and they begin to breathe again he says a vast army mm-hmm. uh, so taking all that together josh um first of all there is good news there is good news in lament <laughs> wow. that we don't cry out to emptiness but we cry out in honesty to god and that's good news and that yes. is a practice right in the middle of exile and there is incredible news that we are not separated from the presence of God. So no matter how dark, no matter how despairing, some of the greatest news in the midst of exile is God is with us. But in addition to lament and presence of God, uh, phenomenal news is God is still creating. Mm. God is still doing a new thing. And this is what those prophets in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel were talking about that yes, this is a season of crying out in honesty to God. This is the season of practicing the presence of God with us in our darkest times of life. But this is also a season of hope, of resurrection, of transformation, that behold, in the midst of death, all things become new. And I would say using exile language in the midst of exile, 
The God who has promised a land of promise um, is working all things together for a homecoming. And there is life in exile. But you already use this language in a beautiful way, Josh. There also is post-exile. Mm. And post-exile, you know, I love, I love what I heard in a, um, in a news briefing this morning uh, here in Nashville. The, the fellow said this. He said, uh, talking about even coronavirus, somebody said, so um, how, will things, how will we ever go back to the way things were? And when will we go back to the way things were? And this was his response. And I think the exiled prophets would say the same thing. He says, I don't think it's ever about going back. It's always about going forward. Mm. It's not when do we go back to normal, but when do we begin to live in a new normal? And those prophets were never going to take people back to a pre-exile time. But they knew that God was with them in exile and God was going with them into post-exile. And just, just as you said, post-exile became for our ancestors one of the most creative, enlivening periods of their lives. Um, and we still read much, much, much of the Bible, much of the Old Testament comes to us from a period of post-exile mm. where God's people, uh, I'd want to say they were living, uh, they were living resurrection. Thanks so much for participating and being a part of this uh, conversation as we look through the Old Testament and see what the Old Testament has to teach us in, in our lives today. Uh, if you're not familiar with GFCN, I encourage you to visit www.gainesvillenaz.com and check us out for more podcasts, more videos, uh, more ways in which we can learn about how we can be faithful people uh, in today's time. We are passionate at GFCN about helping others connect to God and connect to their neighbor. We believe we're called to do that, and we're taking a little bit of the online world and just trying to reserve it for that and for God's presence in connecting with people. So glad you joined us. And uh, if you're still with us, I pray blessings to you, that wherever you're at right now, you would just sense God's presence. Um, in a new way. Go in peace.